From tellmeyourdreams.com, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between finding work that pays the bills and making our work meaningful. The show lives where our personal and professional lives collide, giving all of us the chance to rethink how we live and labor in a work from everywhere economy. There's a tension in leadership that seems to never go away. If I'm trying to help people get to where they've never been before, or if I'm trying to even get myself to where I've never been before, there's always a tension between challenge and support. How am I called up to something? And how am I also supported en route to getting to that thing? And I have found that if I don't have the right combination of both, I end up feeling very discouraged. There's like too much challenge and not enough support, or maybe stagnant if I'm kind of pressed with a lot of support, but not a lot of challenge. Well, my guest today is Jeremy Kubitschek, and Jeremy is one of the founders, uh, co-founders with Steve Cockrum at Giant Worldwide, an amazing organization I've had a chance to do a lot of work with and, and actually have a chance to leverage some of the materials they've come up with uh, as I work with my own clients. But Jeremy was able to join me for a few minutes. You'll hear the conversation in just a sec. And we started talking about this very dynamic of this these tension points and, and how might one actually put the right pieces in play so they couldn't just become a very good leader, but they would actually become like ridiculously competent with every circle of influence they're a part of. And and in particular, could they not just have impact in those circles, but actually be empowering other people to be doing that at the same time? Well, in this conversation with whatever venture you're leading, whether it be a home life or a business life or your own life as an individual, I'm confident you will get tremendous benefit from tuning in. And I hope you'll walk away with a sense of your own challenge that you want to step forward and go further than you ever thought you could, but it'll also provide the kind of support you need to actually get there. Jeremy, welcome to Converge. So good to be with you, Dane. I am so excited to introduce you to the folks that I get to do so much of life with in the conversation on this podcast, but also as I get a chance to interact with uh, small business owners, people who are really making some really fun things and trying to make money or some point or whatever they're trying to do with those things they're making. But uh, you in particular are someone who has a lot of experience in the idea of making <laughs> making things, in a sense, making things out of nothing, but having it have a lot of value. Uh, something like 24 companies in 20 years. Could you just share a little bit of your journey, especially as a creative in business? Uh, so you, you want to go into my pride-filled days or more humility-based days? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. If you're like me, I don't know that there's much of a distinction. They, they both carry. So, <laughs> but what, uh, no, whatever I, feels good to you, you go for that. Yeah, I, mean, I, you know, I grew up on a farm and in a tractor cab that didn't have a radio, and I created things over and over and over in my mind, created companies and different things I wanted to do. And I graduated college really early. So by the time I was 21, I was living in Moscow, Russia, and started three companies with some other colleagues, and then sold them a few years later, and then came back to the States and worked in a 
really interesting field and ended up having an, an entrepreneur that really helped me thrive. And then I started some dot-coms, worked for a private equity group, starting some other things, initiatives, buying companies. And, uh, and that was all by the, time, by the time I was 30. And then I started creating lots of companies and organizations and uh, divisions and all types of, of things. And, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the future, uh, we bought John Maxwell's assets and we, we took the Catalyst conferences and made those uh, national and started the Chick-fil-A leader cast business. And then, uh, you know, all these things through and under giant. And then we've started multiple giant companies. And so my, my deal is I love to use business as a platform for influence. And I've just been trying to figure out ways to do it. So I start companies to figure out how to influence people. And so that's my kind of my maker um, story. Well, it's such a good kind of why that you want to influence them. What do you, what do you want to influence them toward? Or maybe, or maybe a way. It could be away from something too. But you mentioned pride and humility early. What, what are you thinking? <laughs> well, for me, I, I look and go, how do I use business to heal, take things out of people and build things up in, inside of them, like raise them up and call people up to who they really are. So for usually it's around the services. I have had a number of other, you know, I've had the dot-com world. So that's why I say my pride-filled days, my why might be a little bit different. Uh, early on, uh, I did it because I wanted to be on Fast Company magazine. <laughs> so my motives were a little bit, uh, maybe not the purest. And then I had this crazy accident happen to me and my wife in a hurricane in Mexico. And that changed everything. That changed my entire uh, motive. Hmm. And so then I came back with a new lease on life and basically turned my uh, humility, more humility-based days on how do I start things that influence people. Hmm. So kind of a tale of two cities. It's funny. I, I my, my version of Fast Company was I wanted to be in column four of the front cover of Wall Street Journal, that little where they draw the pixelated picture, yeah. like headshot mm-hmm. of someone. And and I then, can see that. Well, yeah. Nice, nice hair for that. <laughs> well, what's funny is I realized uh, over the years that you can be in column four for a lot of reasons, and it's not always yes. positive. <laughs> and and, and uh, it's a little of what I'm hearing you describe in your narrative, that there's something in that life-threatening, catastrophic kind of wake-up call moment that really opened things up for you. I just want to hang out there just for one more second. Can you talk a little bit about that moment and what were the stakes that got revealed in that storm in Mexico. Yeah. So, um, we, we went to see, we were in a hurricane and we were trapped in this hurricane and I thought, Hey, there's a movie theater across the street. Let's go see a movie before the eye of the hurricane, which is a very industrious entrepreneurial American that would say that right. Mm -hmm, Kind of mm -hmm, cocky. mm -hmm. Let's go see a movie before the category three hits us. (laughs) So, uh, I went to see signs with Mel Gibson. Remember that? I do. I do. So I end up from that, I'm in a taxi, like literally two blocks away, just like take us across because it was raining. It was 1045 at night and sideways rain and all that stuff. So I'm sitting in this car and in the movie, he loses his wife, Mel Gibson. So I said to to myself and to God, I basically said, God, if anything happens to Kelly and my wife, I don't want, I don't want to be like Mel Gibson. I don't want to give up my faith. If anything happens to my kids, same thing. Hey, and by the way, if anything happens, anything happens to me, I'll trust you. And I, I just had like that moment of like, you know, contemplation. And it literally was two seconds later, a drunk driver ran a red light and crushed me 
and my wife, but pushed me into the side of the the front seat. I didn't have my seatbelt on, and my sternum popped out. I broke nine ribs. I was paralyzed. Uh, I severed my intestines, bruised every organ, and I was in the car for about 45 minutes before an ambulance came, and I got to about 20 minutes in, and I realized I wasn't going to make it, and I got really serious, and I couldn't think about anything else but was I your man? Mm. Was I a good husband? And was I a good mm. dad? And Fast Company didn't even come to my mind. Any of the business stuff I was working on at the time didn't even come. Like that was it. That was that was the most important things. And so that affected my psyche. And you know, I, I we wouldn't we don't have time in the podcast to tell all that went on over the next week. But we had some crazy things happen, and it changed my entire view of life. Um, and, and why I did what I do. There's uh, this great phrase that I know you and Giant are famous for, this notion of knowing yourself to lead yourself. And you have this amazing project that's just coming out now, the 100X Leader. Could you just talk a little bit about the correlation between like that kind of self-discovery in these peak moments and how that relates to y- your view on you and then your view on your interest in, in influencing others? So what we found is that most of the world lives accidentally. They don't live intentionally. And if they do live intentionally, they don't live intentionally in every circle. They only live intentionally in one circle of influence. So the five circles of influence are self, family, team, organization, and community. And so most of the leadership jargon that's out there is focused on team or maybe organization. Mm-hmm. But we found that it's actually a lifestyle, that leading is, should be a lifestyle. And so we basically just got tired of not people needing tools and concepts. So we created some metaphors. The metaphor of 100x means you get to 100% health. Like, can, how healthy are you right now? Well, that question, that's too ambiguous. So if I said, okay, I don't mean just physically. I mean, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, holistically, mm-hmm. how healthy are you? And then how healthy are you as a leader? And is it trending towards 100% or is it trending down? And then if we said, how about to yourself? What about to your family? What about to your team? Those numbers could look different. And then at the end of it, it has an X. So it's 100X. Well, so we realize that some leaders are divisive leaders. So they have a big divide behind them. Some people are negative, so they subtract. Every time you're around them, you feel like nicked, like there's some mm-hmm. su- subtraction going on. Most leaders are positive; they're adding value, but most leaders aren't multiplying. They don't know how to scale what they know to other people, and so we just simply created this concept of 100x to go. What does it mean to be 100% healthy in every circle? And what does it mean to multiply in every circle of influence? And that's just a, it's a mm. deeper, higher level. Mm. That's encouraging. I, it's funny, the, the compartmentalization of, of those circles of influence that you're describing. Any, any thoughts on, on why? Is, is it just that people are overwhelmed to try to do it in every category? Or do they have blind spots? Or why isn't there a consciousness to all the, the circles? Well, I think the two, twofold. One, you know, most boomers were raised mm-hmm. with compartmentalization. And then the, the Xers kind of carried that in. Uh, the, the next gen, um, you know, both the next generations are way more authentic, genuine, open to life outside mm-hmm. of just compartmentalization. So I think that's a big part of it. The other part, though, is that, I mean, think about how many leaders did you have that were worth following 
uh, I didn't have that many. I had a couple. Mm. I have two or three that I could name that would be like, these are leaders I will, are worth following, mm. not that I had to follow. And so most people haven't experienced it. So they haven't been apprenticed in leading any differently or being intentional. And their parents certainly weren't. So, you know, they just do what they saw, they saw other people doing. And I think that's what we're trying to do is just give people some language and some wake up to what would it look like to live intentionally? And what would it look like for your kids and for yourself and for your team? And it just gives an opportunity for a next level that maybe you haven't ever thought of before. You know, one of my favorite things about Giant and you and Steve Cockrum and all the work that you guys are doing is the way you leverage metaphor. So I think of Five Voices, uh, which I'm a massive fan of, uh, you know, working with Giant in that and benefiting and also exercising it myself with the folks I get to work with. But also I think of Five Gears. Gears is a metaphor so profound the way as I've even just read your book and then articulated that with my with my kids and my wife and my faith community and just uh, businesses I get to work with, so helpful. But in this new exercise, 100x Leader, you have this metaphor of a Sherpa. And I, I would love it if you could just share that. I, honestly, just a quick side note for folks. If you guys have not read Five Voices or Five Gears, just as a personal endorsement, I couldn't recommend these more highly for you guys at home to check out, but I don't want to distract from today's conversation around hundred <laughs> X leader, but, but don't miss those pieces. There's these, all of these things are complementary and work together, but talk a little bit about the Sherpa and how that relates to leaders. Yeah. So, um, we, I did a lot of studying about the Sherpa and the Sherpa, for those of you who don't know, they're a people group in the Himalayas and they were born at roughly 14,000 feet, which is, uh, the highest mountain in North America. So they're acclimated when they were born and so their lungs, their brain, all of it. So that they were living in acclimation where lowlanders like us, you know, if we were put on Mount Everest, uh, we'd die in 30 minutes that, that high of an altitude. So um, what, we, what we did is we began studying servant leadership. And a lot of our consultant, we, so consulting, we would run in and, or coaching, we would run into servant leaders who had horrible cultures like, what is this? Why doesn't a servant leader produce amazing cultures? And so we, we realized sometimes it's in the language, it's the expectation, it's just the verbiage of servant. So the word Sherpa works way, way better. So a Sherpa, uh, let's say we're climbing Mount Everest and we spent $60,000 to climb it, which is the average cost to climb Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. You can't get there by ourselves. You actually have to have Sherpa to survive. And the Sherpas are the ones that, because they're acclimated, they're going ahead of you, putting ropes in place, putting ladders in place, and they're behind you. And they're all the time supporting you and challenging you. And they're fighting for your highest possible good because they want you to get to the top. But if they don't think you can make it, then they're not going to infringe anyone else. They're going to actually pull you and, or cull you because they don't want you to cause any harm to anybody else in your mm. pack. So the idea of the Sherpa is they're not only serving, but they're also challenging. Mm. And I think that's what's missing in sometimes the servant leadership vernacular. Sometimes it's like serve, serve, support, support, help, equip. That's great. And you need that. You have to establish that first. But there's also time like a good coach or like a parent. There's times when you need challenge. Mm. And that support and that challenge has to be calibrated and so the Sherpa metaphor, we like it because uh, the Sherpas are helping you climb, but they're acclimated enough 
to, to take other people up the mountain. So let's just say real fast, if I was taking you up the mountain, Dane, good, I'm your Sherpa. We made it. You made it at the top alive. You made it to the bottom alive. Great. I'm going to give you three days, but I need you now to take three other people up the mountain. Well, the skill set to take three people up the mountain is completely different than just trying to get up the mountain yourself. And I think that's really what leadership is really about. It's learning how to take other people up the mountain. And there's the X. I, it's so profound to me. I, I I love that tension that you're describing that it seems like leaders can never avoid of of challenge and support where they're both required and and that and I know you guys have thought a lot about what that yields but talk about the fruit of when you get that right of of not only multiplication of leaders but also and maybe we could think of it in, in both stages both get, getting up the mountain for the first time but then also getting others up the mountain what what do those when you get that tension right of of prodding and supporting what what does that yield yeah, so it it yields um, it yields the fruit of multiplication of an intentional transfer of knowledge, wisdom, and skills. Well, the problem is most leadership is uh, at best seventy five percent healthy and plus people they add value, which is not bad. Again, better than a poke in the eye, but it's like seventy five plus people. Um, that's what we've known, but plus just means yeah, I'll help you if you need it. Hmm. Multiplication means I'm training you. I'm intentionally transferring knowledge and wisdom and skills, and I'm developing you on purpose. Hmm. So for me, for instance, um, years ago, I just decided I'm accidental as a dad. I want to be intentional. And so we moved to London, and I, I, we did some things. We had our kids. We had tutors, and, we, uh, and there's things I want them to learn. By the time they were 15, they had to have started a company. Or they have to work for someone. So I helped them with business models. I helped them with plans. So, you know, I still have, uh, my daughter still has a business. My son is tinkering with another business right now. And so uh, then by the time they were 16 to 18, I developed an intentional apprenticeship track for them, a plan for each of them based on their voice. Hmm. And so what it did was it was based on IQ and uh, EQ and PQ. So they had to know their personality emotional intelligence, and I used it around their college search time. Hmm. And because of that, my kids have, I mean, that intentional investment, they got me to transfer my knowledge and wisdom. So I'm multiplying magic with my kids. So my kids can sit in a room of adults, and they can carry the conversation. Their influence goes up dramatically, and they get opportunities that most other kids never get because of how mature they are, simply because we were intentional in treating them like adults from 15 on. Mm. And that's, that's just different, right? So uh, that's just one example of the benefits. Uh, it's just really, really hard to do that because yeah. you have to stay engaged. And it's way easier to be accidental yeah. But the ramifications of accidental lives are not very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the track records are brutal. I, but it's, it is funny, that notion of staying awake at the wheel and 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 engaging intentionally in each of those circles, even just to do an audit as folks are at home listening, asking like, where where are the gaps in their circles of influence and where are the accidental versus intentional? That That alone is probably a good start, my guess is. But talk a little bit about where somebody if they were going to start making some first steps in this, in this idea of being intentional, multiplying their influence, well, establishing their influence, multiplying their influence, what are some beginning stages that they could consider in moving in that direction? 
Yeah, so we, we always say you can't give what you don't possess. So start with yourself first. Are you, how are you leading yourself? And if you're listening um, to think, are you intentional with yourself or are you accidental? And if you're intentional, how would that affect what you eat, how you live, what you listen to? And so we use a concept in another book called Trade Up. So you're trading up. You know, this is good, but this is best. So what's going in comes out. So what's going into your, your body, your, you know, your mind, so on and so forth. So then the next question for that is to go, okay, if you move the meter, your lever became more intentional. It's like a dimmer switch on your back. You go to intentional with yourself. Then the next thing is to go, are you liberating yourself? Are you supporting yourself and challenging yourself? Or have you so kind of uh, dominated yourself in your language, your self-talk? That you're bringing lots of challenge to yourself, like, oh, you're an idiot. Damn, you did it again, didn't you? Mm. Man, you're so, you need to lose weight. Oh, you're just, you know, all of that negative self-talk is in so many of us that are listening to go, now what would it look like to raise support for yourself? Yeah. And some people, you've, you've given yourself too much support and not enough challenge, right? And so it's this combination of calibrating support and challenge with yourself first. Then you get into going, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna liberate myself. I wanna be I wanna speak over me the right language. I wanna I wanna trade up and have the right things going on. Um, in fact, I was just sitting at our we have a little um, refrigerator here in our office and I was going for a drink and there was water and there was like, hey, there's a Dr. Pepper. Well, I don't drink soft drinks, but I was like, you know, I haven't had a soft drink. I might choose it. And I almost chose a Dr. Pepper. Well, I'm not anti that. But for me, I've chosen to go, no, 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 no. I don't drink soft drinks. So I had to trade up again to go back to water. And that's a little subtle thing. But those are the little things that add up over time. I love that. So on a micro level, starting with self, beginning to track, audit, make better choices, trading up. And then when they go from there to the other, what would be a step in the right direction? Yeah, so um, from there, you go into then family, right? And so the idea of, of being a Sherpa for someone means that, that anyone else in your life, do they know that you're for them? Do they see that you're against them? Or do they believe that you're for yourself? And those are really, really important because to be for someone uh, looks different. And so if you're for someone, then they begin to trust you. Then you can become a Sherpa for them. And then to be a Sherpa means, what do they need right now? Do they need more support from me or more challenge from me right now? And what's undermining their influence? Do I have the guts to tell them they have a big broccoli spear in their teeth? And can I help them get that broccoli out? Because I, I need them to get to the next level. So um, not literal broccoli, but just, <laughs> just going, you know, what does it look like? What's undermining their influence? Do I have the guts to help them get to the next level? And do they know I'm for them to help them get to the next level? I just had uh, one, of our, one of our teammates at Giant TV. And uh, we were in London together filming some things for Giant TV. And I was talking to him. And I just was like, hey, um, so you know I'm for you, right? Yes. Well, are you okay if I help you get to the next level with one little area that I noticed? It's a little thing. It's not very big. But I want to go ahead and nip that in the bud. Is that Okay. We trust me, so then I was fighting for his highest possible good by training him. Well, we built a culture where that's normal. So it's not like, hey, you need to step it up. You need to get to the next level. It's more of me going, hey, these are little things that I want to help you 
Because if you don't, you might undermine your influence, and I don't want you to undermine influence. Well, what was the thing that you were asking about that you gave them the feedback on? It was a discretion and discipline mm-hmm. uh, issue with those that were older than them. Hmm. Uh, as I basically said, sometimes it comes across, it sounds like a know-it-all. Hmm. Uh, and I don't. I know that's not your intent, so be, be careful with those older, especially who know a little bit more than you in that area. Maybe uh, you want to work on your tone and your tact as it relates to sharing your information. Mm. So it doesn't come across that you know it all and then everyone kind of works around or rolls their eyes at you. Mm-hmm. And did he respond well? Very well. Yeah. But that's the culture we built because we're, we're trying to build responsive people, not resistant people. Mm. Uh, a resistant person is someone who's insecure. And this person is very secure. He's a very humble, very confident person. And so it was an easier conversation because he knows that I'm fighting for him. And if I'm fighting for him, then I'm someone he wants to follow because I would take the time to work on the little things. Uh, And that took about four minutes. Mm. But I had to build that culture into our team that says, look, guys, we're all developing each other at all times. We're all being a Sherpa to each other. We want everyone to get up the mountain. So if that if we're going to get all of us get up the mountain, that means we're fighting for each other's highest possible good. That means that we're, there's a lot of work to be done constantly. Mm. But that's again part of culture. It's so helpful. I when I think of folks again, if if folks are leading, well, everyone's leading something, whether they're leading themselves or leading their friends or leading their family or their companies or whatever they're up to. But you're pointing at a lot of pieces here. Do you have a Do you have a story in mind of someone? who's kind of done the whole journey. We've talked about a couple of micro ideas of like with this individual you ran in your culture, but someone who went really from kind of zero to hero as a hundred X leader. And I'm wondering if you could share that for folks, especially if it, if it might connect to, to folks that might be in that space of they're making something, trying to make money from what they're making. Uh, And maybe, maybe even if they're in a, I know for myself, one of my Achilles heels is when I'm under scarcity, uh, or the perception of like say cash flow issues or whatever, it's really tempting for me to kind of give myself permission to not lead or to be, I could become more of a taker than a giver. Um, and I would love you in my earbuds <laughs> coaching me in the right direction. Uh, but t- t- talk a little bit about someone who's gone from zero to hero and what it took for them to get there. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm working with this person and um, he's, he leads a small team. And, and I'll work with a handful of people just because that's our R&D lab and I want to make sure that, you know, it's really practical. And I actually work with people, an IPO company, very large, to a larger private company, to a small, a couple of small companies just to get a good variety. In this specific case, I was working with, with Robert. He's an amazing guy. But he was a normal average leader, 75 plus kind of person. But he had almost hit his ceiling. Like, man, I don't know how to take him any further than this. But he was doing, you know, he'd read all the books. He's done all the John Maxwell, this and that. He's done all those things. Was a generally nice guy. People generally like him. But what happened was I enabled him to look and see himself at a different level because he had hit his capacity constraint. And so to go to the next level meant that he was going to actually have to look at tendencies and patterns in his life Uh, And what I find is that most people, they wake up and they deal with clients and they deal with email and they do all the to-dos. And that accidental living causes people to either drift or become dull over time. 
and not as sharp as it could be. And that's what had happened to him. And so he was leading everyone exactly the same way. It's like uh, we work with a lot of sports teams and, and a lot of coaches and, and you know, colleges. And we show coaches, look, when you communicate the way you do, you only reach 33% of the people. So what would it look like to get to 85% of your players? And in the same way, that's what was happening with him. He was treating family, his daughters, and his teammates the exact same, and which is basically like, do unto others as I would want done to, to myself, which is the golden rule. So he was living that, which is not bad, but he was basically saying, I don't need a hug, so why should you? I don't need this, so why should you? So we were giving, we gave him the platinum rule, do unto others as they would want done to themselves. And he, for the first time, he was like, oh my goodness. So he's moved to becoming way more intentional with his wife to realize his tendencies are to really blow people up at times, to become kind of cranky and moody at times, so, you know, all these kind of things. And so he began to work on his patterns. He began to realize that he was all challenged in the support. He then also realized that he was accidental in the way he was leading his people. And so we have gone to the conversations we're having now are ridiculous. He's actually moving to become a Sherpa, but it's a, it's a journey. And I had asked him recently, he goes, man, every time I'm with you, I wish I could just snap my fingers and it happens. And, we, and it just worked. And, and he goes, but it's a process. I'm like, absolutely. How long, how long has it taken you to get from where you were to where you are? And he's like, 57 years. Mm. So he's got the next season, he wants to be an X leader. He wants to be a 100 X leader, but he doesn't know how to multiply. And so that's where the tools come in. And that's the 100 X leader book. It gives practical tools because a lot of people get to camp one or camp two, but they don't climb any higher because they, they don't know lead. They're not acclimated at the higher levels. And it's a skill set. And that's why there's not very many people have done it because there's not many examples. Yeah. But to develop other people, there's, there's some skill to that. And there's some intuition and ingenuity and there's some patience. And, you know, it's, it's, to be a Sherpa is really, really hard work. It gives hope too, because I think there's a lot of folks where they're just tempted all the time to go, it's never going to get any better. I'm never going to improve. I've hit my ceilings as good as it gets. There's this, you know, haunting quote. I think it was Kierkegaard who said, man finds the level of despair he can tolerate and calls it happiness. And there's a sense in which I think as leaders, we, we, we get to a level of leadership we can tolerate and we call it good enough, uh, or we call it what a leader is. And and I think what I'm hearing you call people to is like, well, let's, let's, what if it was actually possible to break through that threshold and open something up that you didn't think was possible before? And what I'm hearing is, is really kind of a very hopeful invitation for people to find out both the art and science of what it means to unlock our, our capacities to really influence others for greatness, uh, for, for what they were made for. And, and in so doing, probably unlock things for ourselves. Am I hearing that right? Absolutely. The phrase we use, Dane, is to call people up, not out. So we're basically calling people up. I'm not just saying, man, this world is full of horrible leaders. That is true, but it doesn't do any good. (laughs) So instead, to go, look, I'm calling people up. Steve and I and our team, we're calling people up to go, this is who you could be, but you don't. most don't know how to be there. Most have never experienced anyone like it. So how do you become someone that people want to follow, not have to follow? 
What would it look like if your kids actually wanted to follow you or your spouse? So that is the concept to go, look, we want you to get, like you said, the art and science. We want you to get so good and so acclimated that you can lead people and you can watch their development. And when you watch their development, then you can give them the appropriate support when they need it and challenge when they need it so that they get to the next level. Well, it's so much fun. It's so endearing when you see, you know what, look at how much they're growing. And that was the product of my leadership. And that's what we want to call people up to. That's true leadership, truly. Um, where most of the term terminology of leadership is just a title or, you know, you have a, a role. And it's like, no, 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 it's a lifestyle. This was episode nine, season five of the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is made possible thanks to the Habit Course from TellMeYourDreams.com. TMYD provides world-class coaching designed specifically for remote teams. Find out why Forbes magazine called TMYD's Habit Course the online course to master working from home. Sign up today at TellMeYourDreams.com.